Welcome to Advantage Connors. We've been off for a couple weeks, but we are back. I'm here as always, Brett Connors, with my co-hosts, Jimmy Connors. What's going on today? Yeah, we have been off for a, a few weeks, but uh, I, I know there's uh, been a lot of things going on. You've been working, you've been busy, as you always are, and uh, you know, like always, good to be with you again. Good to be with you, too. Um, we have been off. We, we, we decided to recut and edit some of our old episodes. So the last couple of weeks, you guys have been enjoying Pete Rose, which is one of our favorite episodes, been one of our favorite guests. But I know you guys are hankering for some new content. So here we are. Ready to, <laughs> ready to talk some tennis. What do you think about the last few weeks of tennis? I know there's a lot of stuff we want to get to, but I wanted to start us off there. Well, let's, uh, is it just what they paid for? This is what they want. So let's give it to them. Right. So, uh, uh you know, I, I was, uh, I was kind of interested, uh, the last couple of weeks, especially, uh, with the results down in, uh, down in Miami with, uh, I think he was your pick, to be honest with you, uh, Brett uh, uh, Alcaraz, who comes through and, and wins his first uh, really big tournament. Uh, you know, to to come through like that was uh, was really quite impressive. You know, for a young 18, 19 year old kid to to go out and perform like that and and to to bring home the trophy. You know, but uh, you've been touting him. Uh, you know, he's big, he's strong, and you know he doesn't seem to to really uh, be intimidated by uh, by you know, the champions that have been around and have uh, really made their mark in the game over the, the last, you know, six or eight or 10 or 20 years, whatever. And, uh, you know, to, to have a new face uh, come up like that and, and to, to be able to play that kind of tennis, you know, it's good for tennis. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Definitely. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people have been touting him, not just me, but uh, it was kind of funny. We talked last time I got to do some of the drone work down in Indian Wells two of the guys that came out to play in the golf thing that I got to meet and, and, you know, shoot with the drone was Alcaraz and Rude. So like randomly they didn't, you know, Alcaraz had a pretty good Indian Wells, Rude, not so much. And then the next week they both make the final, uh, both of them, their first masters 1000, both on hard court where you think, uh, mm. you know, maybe they they're more clay court guys. Maybe the success would come there first, but the way the courts are playing in Miami and Indian Wells, it wasn't too surprising. I mean, they were playing gritty, slow, you know, you can kind of tell if those two guys make a final on a hard court that is probably not playing too quick. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just kind of interesting that, uh, you know, that, that, that point, uh, every time we seem to talk tennis, we bring up that point. So, uh, you know, with all, all the courts pretty much the same and the way they bounce and uh, the speed and, and so forth like that, that, you know, the uh, the players, they, they can get into to a routine as far as the way they play. They don't have to really change their games that much. Uh, really the only uh, change that's made is, you know, flying from California to Miami. It was, uh, you know, and to, to deal with a little bit of jet lag, which, you know, as far as, you know, tennis players go, I mean, that's, that's their living, uh, you know, on a plane, you know, Tokyo one day, Sao Paulo the next, and, you know, just, just, uh, just going back and forth. So uh, the, the, the interesting thing is, is that uh, uh, Alcaraz, who, uh, you know, supposedly a clay quarter. And, and from what I understand, that they could go down and, and feel that at home on, uh, on hard courts. And, and to be able to come through with a win like that is, uh, you know, is just as impressive. So, but I guess my, my point now is if he wins on hard courts down in Miami, you know, what the clay court season is coming, what's that going to be like for him? Is he, uh, is he just going to fit slide right into that? Or is it, uh, uh, you know, I know, you know, things are, you know, a little bit different, uh, you know, with going to Monte Carlo and, and, 
he lost early there. But, uh, you know, the, the play coming off, you know, could, can be dry, could be a little faster. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Do you have to adjust your game now? How, how is that going to work for him? Yeah, I mean, uh, I really like him. I mean, he seems, uh, for a few reasons, he seems like a nice kid. You know, he's always smiling. He's a young guy. He's got a lot of exuberant energy that, you know, you can just feed off of. But the way he plays, like, you know, I don't think, you can't just be like, well, he's a clay quarter, he's Spanish, he stays back and grinds. Because when you watch him, even though the courts are slow, I think all that really means is it's just giving him more time to get to another ball. He gets right, to so right. many extra balls. And then it's not like he's just content to grind. He comes forward. For, yeah. an, eight, for an 18-year-old, he moves forward and is ready to knock off balls. I mean, he played a great match against uh, Kekmanovic, I think, in like the quarters. He had a great two-set match against Hubie. Hubie played really well. He's a really good player in Miami the last few years. Uh, he was defending his title. He put up a good showing. But I'm just impressed at how mature his game is. You know, like, I feel like you and I have been talking for a while. Like, you know, there was the serve and volley era. You know, and then there was, you know, you, you and Borg were grinders to kind of combat that. And then for a while, you know, then it was a lot of like, you know, Sampras, a lot of that. But then Agassi would combat that. But then, then once the technology changed around turn of the century, it became nobody likes to come to net. You know, people are allergic to the net. They're scared of the net. Right. They don't want to get past yeah. the Lexalon strings, the da-da-da-da-da, all that stuff that we've heard. But we've been saying, like, you know, like, Fed will do it time to time. Joker will do it on grass. Like, the, the great, the good player, even the doll, will mix in a serve volley here or there at the right time. He's gotten really good at net with his hands. You know, we've been saying, you've been saying, like, what do you think, when is someone going to come along who becomes that, like, hybrid player? That player that can grind away from the back and bang away like everyone likes to do. But also when he wants, he can mix it up, move forward, do a little serve and volley, get to net, shorten the points, take advantage of those short balls. And I don't know, for an 18-year-old, I was thinking it was Sitsipas for a few years, and he's, he's still pretty good. We'll get into him later. But Alcaraz mm. at 18 is doing that on a level that I haven't seen in a long, long time. Yeah, it's interesting. wonder where, how, how did that come out in him? Uh, I wonder if, you know, before he really uh, came on the scene, if, uh, if his coach or, or even he himself, you know, sat back and said, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good game. That's the way it's played now. But what would happen if I would do something a little different and how that would mix things up? And I, I know, you know, the courts are, uh, are a little slower and, and, you know, I really might not have to change my game, but something a little different to, you know, to, to mix it up, to, to keep your opponent off guard a little bit would be, would be something that would be beneficial to my game. So whoever came up with that for him, uh, or maybe it was him, if that was him on his own, then, you know, I mean, that, 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 the, the sky's the limit for that kid because, you know, he's only going to get better at that also. And, and like you said, Brett, that, that they would, if the courts are that slow, that's just giving him that little extra second to get to another ball. And, you know, it, with, his, with his size and strength, I mean, uh, you know, and, and now experience with, with winning that, uh, that Masters 1000, wow. And if he can take that experience that he just got by winning that event and, and just slide it in now to the clay court season, I know he had a, a rough Monte Carlo, but, you know, he's young and, and you know, he was he, he probably celebrated an extra day too long. You know what happens. So but uh, but if he gets his game in order and, and uh, gets ready for the French and, and I, I think he could do some damage there. I know there's a number of clay court tournaments before that. But, uh, you know, for, for me, I'd be looking at the French and, and uh, I'll be watching him. I think he's going to have some good results there. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's expected to have a little bit of a, you know, quote unquote letdown. You win your Masters 1000, you're 18. You get, and then how funny is this? This is the most ironic part to me is like, oh, the clay quarter has to adjust from the slowness of the Miami and Indian Wells courts and adjust to the quicker, drier Monte Carlo courts. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like you're thinking he's going to slide into the clay and be even more at home. And like that match, you said he lost early. Like it was, it was actually a really entertaining match. I was, you know, working it, and uh, and Corda played really well. But Alcaraz, you know, Corda wins the first, and then you're like, wow, Alcaraz is totally going to come back. This is clay. Corda's, you know, playing out of his mind. And then, and then, you know, Alcaraz, you know, wins, gets up a break, Corda breaks back, and then he gets the set, and then we go to the third. And it was it was a real kind of more WTA back and forth uh, scoreline kind of a match. But it played more into almost Corda's favor, where Corda's mm-hmm. looking to play a little shorter points. He's maybe having a little bigger serve when he's on, and he's maybe going for broke a little bit more than Alcaraz, because Alcaraz knows, hey, if I keep you in the point longer, I probably, my advantage kind of goes the longer the rally goes. So Corda right. knows that, and he's going for lines more, and he's hitting them. And, and he wins. I mean, Corda played really well. And I just, it's so strange, you know, like they, I feel like they need to have some sort of statistic. I know they have some weird thing. It's behind like a paywall or something, but they need to come up with some sort of chart or something where they can describe the different court surfaces. You know, like it's so weird that like, hey, the hard court was slower last week than the clay. And it's just like, huh? Like your historical right. like tennis fan is like, what? You right. know, and that's being yeah. done on purpose, obviously. There's no way courts on hard get that slow unless they're purposely wanting to extend rallies and, and, and kind of, you know, create that style of tennis. Yeah, but I, I, uh, don't, you, don't you think that that's a, a lot of uh, the way the games play today, the way uh, you, know, the, what you, you said the, the turn of the century, you know, 20 years ago, 22 years ago now, you know, with the, with the, uh, the the entry of guys like Nadal and and uh, you know Federer more of an all around player but you know more of a, a play play deeper behind the baseline and you know the the equipment and the strings and things the way it changed the game so guys you, you said it just a few minutes ago guys were more afraid to come forward and, uh, because of that and so they they kind of you know, matched all of all of the surfaces to to fit the game as opposed to trying to have a game to fit the surface. Right. Yeah. So it, 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 it's, it's interesting. And, and uh, you know, but hey, listen, uh, uh, you know, I, I come from uh, from an era long, long ago, <laughs> you, you know, where, you know, you you played on, you know, the 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 tattoo of Roland Garros and, and two weeks later you're playing on the grass at Wimbledon, which, you know, you're lucky you didn't, you know, it end up in the hospital with some of the bounces that you got on, on some of the, those courts there. And, and, uh, and then from there you came to, you know, uh, hard fast court. hard courts or, or, you know, even faster clay here when, uh, when, for a couple of years when the U S open went to clay, it was a little different style with faster balls. And then it went to the indoor surface on a Supreme court, which, you know, was lightning quick. And so like that, I still go back and say, that's why I think, you know, Borg winning five Wimbledons in a row coming from uh, the slow clay of Paris, you know, was, was uh, you know, one of the greatest feats in sports, you know, uh, uh, I mean, he was beating the best. I mean, he, he was beating me in the finals. He was beating McEnroe in the finals. He was, Beating you know uh, uh, you know the big servers and the servant volleyers of the day that you know that uh, that that were making their name and reputation on you know a court like that center court at Wimbledon was at the time and 
still the the kind of game that he had and you know his uh, his talent and, and his grind and grit and you know ability to to uh, you know to make little changes. Sometimes they don't have to be big changes, but uh, he made them and won five Wimbledon's in a row, which was uh, you know to me an unbelievable feat. Definitely, and I mean what makes it even weirder and cra- uh, more of a feat is that you think now they'd be doing it more. Like the clay and, and the grass at Wimbledon probably play closer in similarity than they ever have in the past, right? Right. You know, the, the clay, the, the, the grass bounces higher now and, and it doesn't get as beat up and bruised, as they say, as much as it used to. And so, but no one does that anymore. No one goes French Wimbledon. No one has gone French Wimbledon, you know? And so like, uh, uh, I mean, Joker did, obviously, but then, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to do it. Like, you know, he, yeah. he with, with Nadal defending it and, and all that stuff. So I think you're right. It's, it gets lost a little bit now because the people who learn about it now go, oh, you know, like whatever, the clay to the grass now is similar, but it's like, bruh, so, they were so different. And then also you said there was less time. They have like an extra week or maybe even two now. I'm not sure. But back then it was boom, the finals, two weeks. So like Borg would win, probably not play right away. You know, did he play? I don't even know. Like, and then he had to play one warm-up event, meaning he played the week before. We're like, no, oh. not, not really. I mean, he was in the finals of the French. And, you know, by the time he got over to, over to the grass, he, he had his own, own place to go and practice. Uh, he practiced with, uh, with, uh, you know, with our friend Vetus, uh, all mm-hmm. the time and, and Vetus Gerolitis and, and, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they just went at it, uh, for, uh, you know, hours and hours on a daily basis to, you know, to where he would, you know, uh, uh get very used to and accustomed to the different bounces and, and the speed of the grass. And, uh, I would play Queens and then take a week off or, you know, play, mm-hmm. play an event, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I wanted more of the match play, uh, you know, getting used to the grass was, was okay. And, uh, okay for me, but I, I wanted more of the match play to, you know, to try to, you know, to, you know, how I was going to change my game a little bit from coming from the clay and, and, uh, the slowness and, and, uh, you know, how I was going to change a little bit to, to try to take more balls out of the air or catch the ball a little quicker on the rise. And, and, you know, if I had to short hop a few balls and, you know, what, uh, what that was going to take, how I was going to string my rackets. I mean, a lot of, Mm-hmm. Well, there was a lot of, you know, changes that were going on in my mind. So, uh, you know, the match play was important, but for, for, for Bjorn, not really. I mean, he, uh, you know, he just came in and, you know, uh, got into the tournament and, and listen, over the course of those years also, he was down and getting beat in the first two, you know, two or three rounds of the tournament, down two sets to one to Victor Amaya, down two sets to one to VJ Armitage, down two sets to one you know, break to this guy. I mean, and, and he still found a way to come back and win. And, but then when you win matches like that, all that does is create confidence for you. And, and uh, once he got through those matches and his game caught on and tough to beat. Yeah, definitely. But that, that's kind of a crazy little story if you think about it. Because everyone, like with Joker's trying to come back, right? And he lost uh, to Fokina in his first round or the other day. So, and everyone's like, well, he needs more match play. Like he, you know, going into the French, he's got, I think he's won, he's played two, two or three matches in the last three months. Like, you know, he lost to Vesely earlier in the year. Now he lost to Fokina. So that's kind of crazy. And talk about like risky and like having confidence in yourself. Like you don't play a warm up event on grass. You just practice with Vetus and God love Vetus. I love him to death, but Borg owned Vetus and he knew that. So it's like he practiced with one guy he knew he could beat already you know, and then you said it, he gets in trouble in different, you know, was that in different years he would get down or was, you know, either way, 
you know, yeah. m- multiple times early, meaning like, well, maybe I needed a match or two on this stuff to get right. But then you say it, as long as he gets through them, it's like triple the confidence. It's worth like a three X and a win to get through like right. the two set to one uh, deficit to VJ or, or to whoever else it was, you know, now all of a sudden he's like, Psh. I, I I knew it. I didn't need the last week. I'm already ready and rocking, ready to go in the third round, and, and let's win another one. Yeah, but it's interesting. You know, we we bring up Vitas. He 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 did uh, play well against Vitas, but Vitas had the kind of game that 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 grass court uh, brought out. Yeah, you know, he he was a servant volleyer. Uh, uh, he would uh, you know hit uh, uh, chip and charge on his returns. He would he would get into a point and sneak in and take the ball out of the air. And yeah. that was the game back then. So yep. he he played against the guy who who had, you know, you know, really, you know, talk about his results or not, whether you you, you consider him a Hall of Famer or not. Uh, I do. I, I just do. happen to any, anyway. But but he he had he had a game that that you know was would fit all surfaces. And and I think that's one reason, outside of them being good friends and and all that, I think that's one reason he liked practicing with him. Yeah. I mean, great player. Imagine having it, you know, at one one point, what do you get to three or something in the world, you know, top five, top 10 player for years as your practice warm-up partner, you know, and he's one of the best glass score players in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Love Vetus so much, man. I think about him all the time. Still, yeah. Like we, yeah. you know, I got his two iron somewhere in my closet. You got his eight <laughs> iron somewhere in your closet. Says his name yeah. on, the, on, on there. Um, yeah. So I don't want to get stuck too long, but so one other thing, Swiantek wins Miami. She's crushing. Talk about taking advantage of Barty, uh, re- you know, retiring, you know, a couple months ago now. Um, she's won three masters, 1000s in a row. Number one by a long shot on the WTA. She's killing it. I just want to give her a shout out. And now she's going into her favorite surface, the clay. So like get wow. ready for a nice yeah. run from her. Um, and we can wrap up Monte Carlo Sitsipas. You said it a couple uh, on our last show when we talked tennis that the guys we thought needed to have a good result in Miami or going into the clay was Zverev and Sitsipas. And Sitsipas came through. He defended his Monte Carlo title. He beat uh, Zverev in the semis to beat Fokina in the finals in straights. Mm-hmm. Um, but he needed it. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Looking at some stats at work the other night, coming into Monte Carlo, I think he was something like 32 and 17 since the finals in Rolling Garros last year, where he had the two sets of love lead against Nadal, let it slip away. Right. His average rank of the guys he was losing to in those 17 losses, 41. Wow. So yeah. out of all the people who needed to get right, it was probably Sitsi. I mean, PR wise, Verev, but tennis wise, probably Sitsi. And uh, he did it. And what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I like that. And, and uh, you know, there's no, nothing breeds confidence more than winning. And, and uh, you know, when, when you say he needed it, you know, losing, losing that, I mean, that's, you know, that's uh, winning one ever, out of every two matches. I mean, that's not for a guy that, that has his credentials in his kind of game to, to be satisfied with. And, and uh, you know, for him to, to come through and, and, and to win that tournament, you know, ho- hopefully – he uses that to get on a roll, not not to be satisfied with, hey, I haven't won and, you know, I've been playing, you know, not up to par tennis and, you know, I got that under my belt now. Now I can I can skate a little bit. I hope he uses it to get on a roll and to keep going and, and to to use the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, to to still 
work on your game, improve your game, get those results. And then, you know, by the time Roland Garros comes along, you know, you're peaking, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I know, I know I'm going to get, you know, some shit for saying, you know, uh, pulling out and saying, you know, Roland Garros, Roland Garros, and, and I'm, I'm missing Madrid or I'm missing wow. uh, this tournament or that tournament. You know, my, I, and I say that only because, you know, the way, the way things go now, everything has over the past 20 years been Grand Slam, Grand Slam, Grand Slam. You know, whereas before it was every match counted, every match meant something, every match you needed to win. Mm-hmm. But now it's so Grand Slam heavy. So that's why I go out there. You know, so until it until it turns around and and uh, guys say, listen, I needed to win this match. This match right here is really going to turn me around and get me going and, and give me the confidence, you know, so that I can not only, you know, win, I don't know win that match, but I win this tournament and I get on a roll to win this tournament after that. And then the Grand Slam. So I'll reach out to the Grand Slams. You know, obviously that's what everybody wants to win. And you know, that's where your career is, is gauged. I, I get it. But, you know, uh, for him to win that tournament, I hope he now goes in with the understanding that every match means something. You know, and, and it's no fun sitting on the sidelines on a Monday or a Tuesday. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I tried to avoid that at all costs. I, I never, I wanted to be playing on the weekends and, and, you know, that's where, you know, you, 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 you can't, you can't win it the first couple of rounds, but you sure, you sure can't lose the tournament. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, once you got to the finals, the semis and the finals, man, that's when it's time to shine. You know, I mean, the, the grind is getting there. Then all of a sudden, geez, you're in the semis and, you know, look where you are, look what I've done, but my job's not done yet. You know, I still got to go out and win the semifinal match to get to the finals and and uh, and have a chance to win that also. Yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm happy that he won. I, I hope you know with uh, without Alcaraz and Sissipas, you know, kind of coming into form. All that's going to do is make the French that Grand Slam tournament. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you know, e- even more interesting and and uh, and more fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the players uh, say that the tournaments that are important are the ones they do well in. If you ever notice that. So like Sitsi well, well, yeah. really thinks Monte Carlo is a really important tournament on the year, probably because he's won two. It is. It, I mean, it, it is. is. It, I, but you know what I mean? Event. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, though? It, like exactly. who, whoever does well at whatever event they prioritize, Hey, that that's the ones that matter. And then they try and defend those points and all that stuff. I don't want to hang too long, but I want to do one, uh, get your one minute or 45 second take on something that I've noticed has been a pattern on tour, both tours lately. The rampant retirement of players late, late in the match, close to the finish line. A point, a couple points away, a game away, six points away, three games away. And I just don't understand it. If you, if your legs hurt and you're really hurt and you're really risking further damage, okay. But if you watch these matches, there was a match a couple weeks ago where the player with a long three-setter was in, back and forth breaks, had a chance to break, didn't break, then goes down 5-3 or whatever it was, p- plays two points to see if she can get to 15-all, doesn't, goes down love, love 35-2 in the third, quits, pulls the ripcord. Then today, <clears throat> today, Elise Mertens, the number one seed in Istanbul, pulls the ripcord two games away, 4-1 down in, in like the second set or what, a third set, or I don't even know. 4-1 down. She broke to start the set. So she, she was okay. She was fist pumping her mother who was sitting in the crowd. Let's go. I'm back in and I'm broke to start. Whoops. Loses four games in a row. Pulls the ripcord. Number one seed. 
didn't mind probably accepting some sort of appearance fee check if <clears throat> those are involved over there. Um, how, like, how embarrassing is that? Like, you know, like, and then that makes me think of one thing about Federer. You guys have all these tournaments, thousands of matches won, all that shit. And almost the thing about him that's the most impressive to me is that he, he never quits. Like, he never retires from a match. And he would never do some shit like that. He would never steal someone's win, take the shine, set up the excuse, give them something to say in press. You know, there's all these little games that these players are doing. I get it if they're hurt, but I don't think they're hurt about right. 80% of the time. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I, I just, you know, kind of go back and, and uh, listen, things happen over the course of a, of a match better where, you know, you something something goes wrong, you take a bad step, something, you know, and, and I, I understand that. But but if uh, I, I was always told that uh, yeah, that 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 if you're going to go out there, go out there and play, you know, and and uh, you know try to try to give it everything you have. Retire when there's you know two points left or whatever. Really, it's going to you know why why you just don't want that you know that uh, that opponent to to get that win over you. They got it over you anyway, right? <laughs> you know, it's not yeah, it's not like it's you know going to be said. Well, you know, re- retire doesn't really mean anything. I mean, just. I, I don't know either. Either go out there and play, uh, you know, and and, uh, and take whatever happens. And listen, I, I get things happen. I, yeah. I, I get that over For the sure. course of the match. And, and but uh, but if you know if you it'd be better to you know surf four balls over the fence to get it over right with and and, uh, and and just kind of move on. I guess I, I don't know. Just uh, just kind of crazy that you don't kind of you know pride in your own game or or, or your own self. Yeah. To, you know, kind of figure that out. Your own guts. Like, yeah. like, like literally like some of the matches, you could just sit there and take four aces. Like the girl who retired two points away, she was receiving. Take two mm-hmm. aces and right. walk to net. You know, like right. that. that's where you're like, come on, like you're not that hurt. This is some ego shit where you're like too frail or you don't want to give the fucking other person the, the, you know, the satisfaction of getting the win. So you try and like, but everyone sees it. No one's going like, oh, uh, Mertens was down 4-1 in the set, but uh, she retired. So uh, she probably was going to pull that out in the third. No, dude, she was right. going to lose that 6-1 in the second with her mom right. in the front row cheering her on, spending the appearance fee check at night. You know what I mean? Right. That's the part <laughs> yeah. where it's like lame, where you're like, dude, you know, well. get, if you're the number one seed, you show up, you play, you break to start the second set. So you care enough to keep going at that point when things are going your way. So what happens when yeah. it flips and it goes the I other way? I now you're hurt. Almost, almost be better to break serve the first game and then walk up and say, "I'm, I'm not right. I, I, I can't. I'm not going to finish." For sure, I would respect that way more. Yeah, try, yeah, yeah try to you know, finish when you're ahead. I, I don't know. It's a you know, the, but these I guess you know with the schedule and you know the amount of play. I, I don't know. They play more or less than we did back in the day. It's the yeah, second you know, round. It's like she probably yeah, had a bye. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, well, like they're you not go. even coming prepared to play a match or two, and then they go to their coach like, "Hey, like, why don't I do better at the Grand Slams?" It's like, well, you're gonna have to do good in seven of those. Like, you're gonna be right. ready. You're gonna have three or four retirements in the seventh match. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> give me a break. Why aren't you doing better in slams? Like, I don't know. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. And it's important to show up for yourself through all the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns 
and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. I know I can get sad from time to time, and it would always be helpful to have somebody out there to talk to. We can all use help from time to time, and especially during these difficult times we've all been going through the last few years. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online, and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in that uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional online therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp is a great way to show up for yourself and invest in your well-being, because, well, you deserve some inner peace. Visit BetterHelp.com Connors. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for all Advantage Connors listeners out there. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com Connors. Give me your take on Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars. We were away for a little while. A lot happened in the world, and we wanted to get your take on uh, on that situation. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I I saw it. I almost said, you know, when I heard him, I didn't I didn't watch the Academy Awards, but uh, you know, I, I know uh, actually you sent you sent a text and say, you know, did you see that? Uh, and, <laughs> and I, you know, and then you know, kind of I kind of brought it up, and it, at first I was kind of. What, what was that? You know, what, did that really happen? Yeah, you know, and then and then the more you see it, the more it's uh, you know you say, man, I mean, yeah. how, you know, what what was that? And 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 I guess the only thing that I can think of is, yeah, uh, you know, I, I look at the Academy Awards, and you know, you know me, Brad, I'm a movie buff. I'm, I'm old school movies. I like it, and, and uh, yeah, uh, sitting back and and uh, you know, getting my own popcorn in my own house and, and watching movies, but. But, you know, maybe, you know, you know, the, the Academy, you know, the Academy Awards have been struggling and some of the movies and whatever, but the pandemic and so forth. But for, for me, uh, you know, you, you, you hear the joke and I'm a Chris Rock fan. I, I, I like Definitely. Chris Rock. And, and, and to see that and, and, and to see how the whole thing came down, it's almost like, well, you know, he's going to walk up there. And, and then, and then you see, uh, Will Smith just keeps going and you go. You know, I guess there came a point in time where, you know, he was at the point of no return. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and he had to he had to complete the mission, whatever the mission was. Yeah. And then and then, you know, for him to, you know, to 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 slap you know, uh, uh, Chris Rock. And, you know, I, I, I will say, you know, uh, Chris Rock took it. Yeah, you know, he took it and, yeah. and uh, you know, the Will Smith. He handled it great. I mean, Rock, he did. Rock could have said a lot of things there. I mean, with the stuff that we know as the public about that couple, can you imagine the stuff that Rock knows behind the scenes? Like he yeah, could have lit him up. It's and then and then for him to to sit down and, and to to say you know repeat twice what he said you know uh, you know it, I heard I heard a great line and and uh, I don't I don't know if it fits here but it seems to it says you know it it, it takes somebody that's hurt to hurt somebody. Mm. Yeah, and you know, so somewhere in there, you know, it seems like I, I don't know. I'm no psychiatrist or psychologist, or you know, don't pretend to be. Don't ever want to be. But you know, there there has to there had to be more more to it than 
uh, than than really meets the eye. But you know, Chris Rock is is he's out on uh, on his uh, on his tour now and and uh, making personal appearances and things. And an uh, interesting thing to me, Brett, that he said uh, he says I'll I'll talk more about that when I can make some money off of it. Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, you know, and and and, and at least and he's honest. I, yeah, yeah, he's honest, and you know, but. Um, I, I think it was it was Jim Carrey that said, yeah. uh, uh, he says the next morning, I, you know, I had to file a lawsuit for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, I'm going, well, you know, what good does that do? And then he explained to it. He says, because that's going to live on forever. Right. <laughs> you know, so, right. And, you know, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I kind of. Go ahead. Yeah. Just a couple things on it. I mean, the softness to be offended by it, that joke was funny to me, too. Like, it, G.I. Jean joke. It's not like some sort of alopecia joke. It's about the fact that she has a similar haircut to the character from G.I. Jane, who right. was Demi Moore when she was banging hot. Like, that yeah. was the funniest part to me that got lost in it, where I'm like, wait, uh, G.I. Jane? You mean Demi Moore, where she was, like, cut and just happened to have a shaved head because she was in the military? Like, and you're offended right. by that? Like, hey, Jada, you yeah. would kill. You'd kill to get that role. Like, what roles are you getting, Jada? Like, it's, it's like, not attached to Will's, like coattails like i mean she embarrassed him on that red table talk essentially saying she was banging one of her uh their son's friends who's a rapper he's like 20 years old august alstina so that that might be the part that's hurt wanting to lash out and hurt the fact that his wife's the one who who abuses him like that in the public but i thought something was interesting that came out that uh they're they were in the church of scientology for a long time the smiths all of them. Mm. They started a school. They put money into school. They were big, deep into it. And they left. They say they left five, six, seven years ago in the mid-teens, uh, whatever. But this guy put out this great thread on Twitter where it talks about in the Church of Scientology, if someone uh, disrespects you publicly or it, it, maybe even in general, just disrespects you, you have to slap them with an open hand. It's part of the religion. It's embedded in the, the curriculum. And if you don't do it, somebody who has a higher ranking or like whatever the thing is within the within the church has to slap you with an open hand. Oh, so, oh boy. So, so when I read that whole thread and Google it, go ahead and Google it out there if you want, if you're into it. But it, it, all of a sudden you're like, oh, it makes sense. Because at first, like uh, 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 Smith's laughing at the joke. And then it's like he has to yeah. look over and is like, oh, dad, her mommy tell me no good now. Me have to get mad. It's like, so then he gets mad and like goes up there and goes, doesn't hit him. Doesn't hit him. He like slaps him with the open fist, you right. know? So it like kind of in that context makes a little more sense, but I, I don't know. I'm a rock fan too. I think comedians yeah. have to have the right to say stuff. I mean, you obviously can't go too gnarly, but like that wasn't gnarly. That was like a G joke on a ABC network <laughs> television right. show yeah. that they hired yeah. to tell the jokes. So yeah, whatever. Uh, well, well, I've got, I, we, we have uh, some, uh, some, Friends that uh, that are comedians and and uh, uh, you know the way they talk now they they just said that you know those days are over mm -hmm. uh, you know the, to be able to go up and tell a joke and not just be you know harassed and you know have to worry about your health and, and all that kind of stuff you know I mean, I, I look at uh, you know back in the day I mean if if that's what offended you you know what would happen if you're in in with Don Rickles. Right. You know, so, uh, right. I mean, so, you know, so, well, it's you know, also like if you don't like it, go, don't go to the show. Don't watch yeah. the thing. 
don't listen to the thing. Not everyone has to be as soft as you are because like words offend you to the point of, you know, like the people don't get what's happening also with the censorship shit. We'll get into Musk and Twitter here in a second, but like, don't people see that when they try and make no one able to say anything that they're taking away our, like our rights a little bit. And they're like, they're trying to sell it to you as like this woke or virtuous thing where like, you know, like obviously there's lines that you shouldn't cross, but like now all of a sudden a haircut joke, a fucking haircut joke leads to yeah. like three weeks of now he's banished from the academy for a decade. Oh, See you on TikTok, boy. Will. It's like right. it's his favorite I, thing to do I, I is TikTok anyway. I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, you know what you know. I think a lot a lot has to do with the last couple of years and and uh, you know with the pandemic and you know so so many things have. Uh, you know, have, have happened along with that, you know, with the, you know, the people and kids and, mm-hmm. and your attitude and, and stress. And, you know, there's, you know, now, you know, things are opening up and, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I thought, you know, people, it's like, you know, being, you know, just jumping in and saying, Oh my God, I'm so happy to, you know, to be out of it. I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You know, the people are sensitive. Yeah. You know, people have gotten sensitive. And, and the and, TV uh, tells them to be sensitive. Like, if you don't yeah, watch I mean, TV for a week or two, you kind of don't care. With, you just enjoy, like, regular life. But if you're just tuned mm-hmm. into your phone and TV, it just owns people. Right. You know, you right. Gotta, who we hate this week? We hate Djokovic because he didn't get a vaccine. Who do we hate now? Rogan because he said a thing. Who do we hate now? Elon Musk because he wants to buy Twitter. Who now? Now it's Russia. Now it's this. Now everyone's just hate. Hate, hate, yeah. hate, hate. Yeah. Next thing to tell everyone to hate. Hey, what are we going to hate now? What are we going to tell these people that they should hate? And everyone's living in this yeah. negative mindset all the time. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, ho- hopefully, you know, we, we try to, you know, break out of that. And, and uh, you know, it's just life, sells. Life. I'm sorry. It sells. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, notice that uh, every time, you know, you, you watch the news, uh, the last 10 seconds is a, good, a feel good story. Right. To leave that good <laughs> last, taste in your mouth. Yeah. The last 10 seconds. Yeah. But, but you, you, you said you, something uh, better about Elon Musk. Yeah. And, tell and, me. And buying, and buying Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really uh, up to date on, on everything. I know there's, uh, you know, he's trying to, to get in there and take it over, but uh, it, uh, a lot of things have happened with Twitter over the past and, you know, uh, barring people from right. uh, getting on it and, and uh, having something to say and, you know, once again, you know, we're talking, you know, people can hide behind uh, whatever to say anything, right. you know, I, I guess. But but it's still you shouldn't be held back from, you know, having your own opinion. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, everybody's got an opinion. I mean, you know, there's an old saying about that. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. it. But, Everyone's got uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean- uh, but but it's it's interesting that uh, you know that that he's looking to get in that and, and maybe you know turn that around and change it. Yeah, I mean, I think if nothing else, he's just doing it to like shine a light on the like kind of bullshittedness of it all. Where like, oh, we do you realize who owns Twitter? Like the Saudi Arabian like kingdom owns like a big chunk of Twitter. Hedge mm-hmm. funds own a big chunk of Twitter. You know, and so it's like everyone's cool and. Def- you know, in one breath, they'll be like, oh, you know, human rights in Saudi Arabia. And then in the next breath, be like, they should be the ones to own Twitter instead of Musk. And you're like, man, the hypocrisy is thick these mm. days, dude. I mean, it is like layers, like triple cheeseburger thick. 
you know, like Jennifer Lopez or late nineties booty thick, you know, like it's, it's, it's embarrassing to like watch just be, I think Elon's just almost shining a light on it because they're willing to take the poison pill. Remember, you remember that from the eighties, the shit they invented yeah. to like make hostile takeover seem like a, have a defense for it. So they're willing right. to take, to take the poison pill and, and like a sab- sabotage the stock price just so Musk doesn't get it. And then these people with like straight faces in like the wall in the Washington Post, there was this article with this woman who was like the the former Reddit CEO or president or something. And she's like, we have to stop billionaires from controlling the media and controlling like the thought of the people. And she's like saying it in the Washington Post, like to a quote to someone in the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos. You know, a billionaire right. trying to control the narrative and, and, and control the stories and shit. So it's just like, how can it, straight faces without like hints of irony and stuff? So like, I don't know if Musk will do it, but he'll probably just let, he's probably going to do it and let them run it into the ground and then be like, all right, I'm going to start my own social media shit or something like that. Wow. That's actually free yeah. speech. Yeah, it's, 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 it's so hard to keep up with all of that. I mean, it, it, it interests me because it, it uh, it allows it, it allows us to live our lives and you know kind of what we've been used to. But you know things have changed so much in the last couple of years that you know maybe that's not what we're used to anymore. Right. I just the the watching the public hand over their rights, you know, for like brownie points and likes and retweets. Like this is the First mm-hmm. Amendment. Like you lose that, all the rest of the shit. Who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. So who cares after all that? Like you can't say what you want. You know. I mean, I know you can incite violence and there's things you have to draw the line. I understand it can't all be 4chan, which is like this other social media kind of cesspooly like thing that like it gets dark on. So like, I understand you don't want Twitter to be like that, but when you start banning people because, you know, their tweets trigger you in the middle of the night and like, I don't like any politician. I hate all politicians, but to watch people Uh. for, for four years hate this way and then not say anything this way. And then they switch both sides back and forth. You yeah, know, the, the partisanship, yeah. the game is if like, now we're playing offense and then Tom Brady comes on to help us win. And then we bring both, you know, the defenders out for four years because we lost, you know, it's just <laughs> like, it's so stupid and watching people fall for it. And like, I, I, I'm a C student, C student. I went to, I, to, to, to school with all these people and I watch them just like eat it up. And I'm like, remember, remember like history or the thing, political science, like whatever. Right, and it's just crazy to watch, like the the TV and all the the media stuff. Like they they just they blow them where they want them to go. Uh, you, you know, it, go this there, way. There's there, there's two there's two lines, though, brother. Yeah, you know, with that, you know, the, about the story. There, there's uh, there's one side to every story. Yeah, your you side. Know? Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then and then and then the other one is, you know, there's there's uh, your side, my side, then there's the truth. Right. Yeah, you somewhere know, so, in the middle. It's always somewhere in the middle. But everything seems yeah. to want, everyone wants everything to be black or white. And it's like, no, no, remember, it's all mostly gray. Like, that's the yeah. thing, you know, like the meeting in the middle. Like, I don't know, whatever. All right, let's move on. So what do you think? I thought this was a cool story, especially because of who was involved, because we're fans uh, of both of them. Uh, college athletes making money. Um, they passed a law. Oh, fan. Yep. You're a fan? Oh, yeah. Talk to me oh, about yeah. it. Who did we see oh, that we saw about it? Yeah, well, you know, we uh, I think we saw the same story. That, uh, yeah. John, John Daly the second is that the one you're talking yep, about? Yep. Si- big and little John Daly. Big and big and little. <laughs> and, uh, he, he just he just signed with Hooters. Awesome. And it's awesome. Yeah. It is right. And and uh, 
you know, for you know, I I went to to college for a minute, and 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 I I was uh, you know back in the day of Bill Walton and the UCLA Bruin basketball team and and UCLA football, and you know, well, how how big it was and what it meant to you know for the college and and just everything those athletes did, and you know, I I was I was on the tennis team, which you know which was big, but nothing like basketball and and uh, and football. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I get I, I get to go out and, and, and wash the courts, uh, you know, one, uh, once or twice a week. And and uh, at, at the end of the month, I, you know, I was able to, you know, to scrape through, you know, 100 bucks, you know, for the month. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, which you know, I was happy to get this. Yeah. You got to remember it's 50 years ago, too. But but, uh, you know, the end result is, you know, the, the, the athletes and, you know, giving them an opportunity to make off of their name, I think is very good because look, look what it does for the for the stands, you know, and, and, and how, you know, having uh, good teams and good and, and good athletes, great athletes and and, uh, you know, what they can do, you know, for, for the school and how it brings in. Uh, you know, the fans and, and uh, you know, the the, the, the past alumni. The money. Oh, that was the money is right. <laughs> Don't beating around the bush here. No, that was that was. I, I was. I wasn't just going to harp on that right away because the money is really the end result of it all. And 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 for them to now have a chance to make some money off of their name and and their reputation is 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 only going to be better, you know, for the school. But look what that does for them after they get out of school. Also, yeah. You know the you know the the reputation that they have, and, and they've already laid the groundwork for being uh, you know uh, corporate, uh, being uh, fit into you know uh, publicity or or, or right. you know uh, the corporate feel of of growing up mm-hmm. and and being and 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 leaning into that and, and learning more about it and and uh, yeah, I mean that's that's an education in itself. Right. You not only are you going to college, but you're getting an education. In, in finances at the same time. And I'm all for it. I, you know, mm-hmm. uh, God bless my, you know, and, and uh, you know, like I said, it's been 50 years since I went to school for a minute, but I think that's long overdue. Yeah. I, when I was saying the money, I'm talking about the schools. I'm yes. talking about the schools, no, no, like uh, I, I siphoning money off the value of these athletes provide the schools. And they always go, they're like college education. It's like, yeah, that's, that's cool. But like, you know, all those nice brick buildings you have, those new shit that like always putting up on these big, big universities, that probably comes from a lot of the uh, sporting events, you know? Right. Obviously, a right. lot of the sports don't make money. So the and then the bigger sports also then take care of those sports. That's something people don't right. think of. So like football, well, basketball, both you know uh, women's basketball and you know softball, whatever, soccer, and those are their main four or five sports. And then those pay for like maybe the swimming or the golf or like the tennis or like whatever else, where like maybe they don't bring in as much money. And also, what well, about and what about all the guys who like how many guys have been legends in college? where they're like, this guy's going to go to the NFL and crush. And then they don't, you know what right. I mean? They don't crush mm-hmm. or they, they get an injury late in their college career or early in their football career. And they, you know, there's no guaranteed contracts. Then they've been denied a chance to make money off like the supreme kind of talent that they had for a four five, six, whatever it is, your period. And then now you're just like, well, fuck, I'm sorry later, bro. You know what I mean? We're just yeah. getting another guy in here. You know, it's like cold like that. Uh, I'm going to go back when when uh, you were looking at colleges and and I remember uh, we went to uh, University of Texas mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you you were going to go and and, uh, and and play some golf there and 
and uh, you know we we had the tour and and they, I, I remember uh, they they took us in you know the locker room for you know for for football and for basketball if you remember correctly mm-hmm. I mean it, it was it was out of control great it was huge uh, yeah, huge and and you know and, and and they they basically said and you know this uh, this is what you know basketball and football does for this college you know it makes it possible for you know everybody and, and you'll be in here too brett but you know you'll be playing golf you know or, yep. or, or whatever but it was they had like tutors a, remember they had like it round you know 12 hours a day you could come and get tutoring or something it was it was crazy yeah um, it was a, it was an amazing uh, experience to 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 be able to see that and and but you you see just how big you know those those sports are and what they do for the for the rest of the school and and uh you know for the for the athletes to have a chance to you know to uh make something off of that to to be a part of all that and 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 uh make something of it I, i'm happy for them right i am too i think it's great um i think it's awesome that little john daly signed with hooters just like his pops, uh, Big John Daly. <laughs> big, big, big John Daly fans here. We love love both those guys, yeah. man. They're legends. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so not, don't want to keep you too long. Give me uh, your foot update real quick. Tell me how you're doing, and then I'll I'll, I'll kind of wrap us up. Well, I'll, I'll go back to uh, the first week of December in, in 2021. I was uh, I, I was feeling pretty good and and played uh, golf and tennis. I was down in Florida uh, visiting your sister. I played golf and tennis four days in a row, and mm-hmm. I was feeling good. I was on my way back home, uh, got out of the car to step into the airport, and went went gimpy. Mm-hmm. So I came back and and uh, I you know I said, well, you know, this has happened before. I don't, I don't really see any any real problem with that. So one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks went by, and I said, I better go get an MRI. I got my MRI. Uh, I had a torn right Achilles. Uh, Achilles tendon, and it's a process. It's anywhere from six months to a year, and you're in a boot, and and uh, you know you just really gotta take care of yourself. And the rehab is, uh, is is whatever it is. So I said surgery. I'm gonna try to avoid surgery at uh, all costs. So yeah, I, I found a, a doctor here in in, uh, in Santa Barbara who turned out by the way she was magnificent and she she came in and i sat down with her with my mri and she says you're you're not torn all the way and i said is that good or bad and he says well if it was torn all the way you'd only have one decision to make and that was uh, the surgery but it's not torn all the way he says why don't we try something else and i said i'm listening so she gave me a prp shot it's uh protein-rich, enriched plasma. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did that. And she says, now, you know, you're going to you're gonna have to really pay attention to this. Well, I'm going to put you in a boot. And I'm going, ah, that's what I wanted to try to avoid. So right. anyway, to make a long story short, I was in a boot for six weeks. I went back to her again, and, and she, she went over and saw it, and, and uh, it says, it looks like it's better. And I said, but it would it be better if you gave me another PRP shot? <laughs> <laughs> and she says, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever done it that close. So she says, you know, let me think about it. Come back in a week. I went back in a week. She gave me another PRP shot. And as she was uh, uh, injecting it into the tendon, she, she was going, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, it, I can feel all that scar tissue. That's a good thing, that right? It, that it, which is good. Th- yeah. 
So she gave it to me, uh, gave me that. And I, I've been in a boot for four, almost five weeks. I went on Thursday and I'm good. Oh, I'm yeah. Good. yeah. So uh, she uh, she's thrilled. I went to my my therapist and she said, you can do, you know, just take it easy. Don't don't think you can go out and start playing five sets. And I'm not going to do that anyway. But but uh, but she told me to to I could do anything outside of the boot. Take the boot off, except when I exercise, which is uh, riding a bike or getting on the uh, the elliptical or something like that. She'd still rather me be in the boot so that I don't stretch it uh, too much too soon. But uh, I, I I dodged a bullet, and I'm uh, so uh, I'm, I'm thrilled with the with the outcome, and uh, I'm going to be taking it slow. But uh, to avoid that surgery has been. Uh, is has been really something that uh, that has been weighing on my mind, and uh, to get by with that's pretty good. So, thanks to my doc and my therapist, uh, uh, and and uh, Dr. Danielle and and my therapist Chrissy, who has uh, taken nothing but great care of me, and and uh, can't thank him enough. That's good news. I like hearing that. So, are you able to yeah. golf? I can. I played eight, I played eighteen holes the other day. Nice. Don't ask me. Don't ask me what I shot. It was just disgraceful. Now you can like be like, what's your handicap? Be like, Achilles. Yeah, my Achilles. <laughs> but uh, uh, I got in, and I'm uh, I'm hoping I can play. You know, I'm going to go out and play again on Friday, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, start uh, start getting back into it a little bit, which would be fun. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. I got a little time off uh, coming up, and maybe we can play some golf and get yeah. out there. I'll be ready for you. The, uh, the days are getting longer and nicer. So we're almost done. I just wanted to hit one thing, do our little NFT uh, section of the show. Um, a couple weeks ago, it was the first ever NFT LA. Los Angeles had the first NFT LA, whatever that is. It's like a big conference that was down near uh, Crypto, old Staples. I'll keep calling it Staples Center, um, where they had like lots of speakers from different collections and you know different platforms and, and all this stuff. Um, I didn't actually go to that just because I was working and tickets were kind of ridiculously expensive. And anyway, all the people who were in town would do little side events at galleries or restaurants or, uh, you know, whatever, and kind of have their own little events also where you could go and, and have fun and, and check it out. So I went to, uh, Melina and I we went to three places in one day. I, uh, we did like, I did a podcast. I had like another meeting I had like a little work and we still did three things. I barely slept just to try and get some stuff in <laughs> to say I could, did some NFTLA shit. Um, the coolest part, I went and checked out one, Brain Vomit, we've talked about before. Got to meet the artist. He's really cool. He's from San Francisco. Stephen Ray is his name. Uh, and met, met some friends there. That was a lot of fun. Uh, went to a Psychedelics Anonymous like kind of meetup. That was, uh, was kind of chill. It was at a club. Uh, it was fun. But the, my favorite part of the week was uh, went to The Smiles, which is one of my favorite collections. Um, if you're out there, check it out uh, at S M I L E S S. It's like three S's on the end or whatever. I can't spell, but um, and, and the artist was there. His name's Wahid Zai, and he's like he's 21. He's from Afghanistan. He moved uh, over here to Min <clears throat> to Minneapolis, Minnesota, when he was like 15. So he's been over here for six years. Um, really interesting story. Really nice, humble kid. Uh, really enjoyed. He sat there and talked to me and, and Melina for like. 30 minutes, you know, went up and I'm like, Hey man, you know, just wanted to say hi. And I had just bought one of his, uh, NFTs earlier in the week. 
And I was like, hey, you know, I bought I bought a red because it's like color is red or whatever, you know. And I'm like, he's like, oh, man. He's like, let me tell you how I came up with that. And he goes into like a 25-minute story about like, you know, his life and how he came up with, you know, this certain color and this aspect of the one I have. And and he was just a really cool, nice kid. And uh, my we were going to try and maybe hopefully get him on the podcast one day. I think he'd be a, a really interesting guest for everyone to listen to and meet. Yeah, you you had a busy uh, a busy time there. Not only uh, going to the to the NFTs, but uh, but working and, and doing all that. Did, did you ever get any rest? I did. Yeah, eventually. Um, I've just with the schedule lately. I've just been like napping. It's kind of this new thing where I never get more than two or three hours of sleep. It seems like, but I do it a couple times a day. So collectively, I'm trying to get like four or five, six. <laughs> hours a day <laughs> with like you know the european hours for work you're in there at like 1 a.m like we do the call right. times are like 1 a.m sometimes sometimes two midnight and so you're just you know then your your calendar becomes that so then like i had two days off this last weekend but i just done like 10 of 11 days with those hours so like i'm not gonna sleep you know what i mean i was like <laughs> up at two in the morning like pacing back and forth with bella on the patio listening to music trying to like wear myself out a little bit but um, it's been fun, man. It's been a, it's been busy the, the, the last few months, but uh, it's been a lot of good stuff, and and I'm I'm glad we got to record this one. I wanted to do a new one with you in touch base. Perfect. Well, uh, uh, we're here. Give uh, give Bella and Melvin a hug for us, and and uh, I miss you and and love you, and look forward to seeing you soon. Yep, love you and miss you too. Uh, if you want to follow us, we're on social media on Twitter at ADV Connors. Uh, Jimmy's at Jimmy Connors. I'm Brett underscore Connors. You can follow us on Instagram at Advantage Connors spelled out. Uh, make sure to share this with a friend, a buddy. We're on our new platform, uh, Cloud 10, which is part of the iHeart Podcast Network. We'd love for you to spread the word and maybe share it with somebody so we can uh, grow our reach and audience. So that's it. Love you, Pops. Talk to you soon. And we are out. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.